Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. We're joining me out poolside, actually. It's, uh, we've got an unusual place we're <laughs> recording this one. It's uh, Chronicles Jake Kaplan, and it's a week after the World Series Game yeah, a week, 7. A week from Game 7, exactly, yeah. I mean, what does it feel like uh, to have just witnessed what you witnessed? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's pretty special to have the opportunity to cover a team from the day they report to spring training. I think it was Valentine's Day this year, February 14th, all the way to November, and follow them through a World Series championship, get to chronicle them every step of the way. It was a fun season to, to watch, to cover. I can't say I expected everything that happened. There was a lot of twists and turns, and I'll, I'm sure I'll appreciate it even more when I look back on it in the future, but it was, uh, I mean, all, all I want is good stories, and there was plenty of good stories. It's only been a week, but is, is the book out? Is the Jake Kaplan, the story of the 2017 <laughs> Houston Astros? Because we're going to see a lot of those. This is the first one in, in Astros history. Yes. And so the first one, I was talking to people at the parade on, on our last podcast. We, I went out to the Astros parade and, and, and somebody pointed this out. And it's, and it's worth pointing out over and over again that the first one is always the most special. I mean, in, in Boston... Yeah, and, and, and Chicago, it had been a long time, but for Houston, this is where it all starts. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's incredible. 56 years, and they hadn't won one. I mean, it's the first one for Texas, right? The Rangers haven't won one, so it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about a book, but we have a bunch of Chronicle special commemorative sections, and one that's a book that includes kind of stories from throughout the year that kind of helps you chronicle no pun intended, just the whole season, and I'm looking forward to getting my hands on that one. What was the guy that you saw in the Astros organization or that just surrounded the Astros organization, maybe if somebody formerly in the organization, that you could tell this meant as much to as anybody? And I'm not just talking – let's have, uh, not talk about maybe the players and, and Luno and, and, and A.J. Hinch, but, you know, there's people like Jose Cruz – that have been an Astro for such a long time. And some of the Nolan Ryan, who this is his hometown. He had played here for nine years. It had been since 1969, since his last championship. So it had been 48 years since Nolan Ryan had won one. Was there a particular guy that you could see the emotion and you felt like it just meant so much to him that the Astros finally had won a championship? I think Reed Ryan was was overcome with emotion uh, on the podium and, and after the podium. You know, even Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell, they're not technically on members of this team, but they're still members of the Astros. I mean, Biggio's around the team every day, pretty much, especially in the late in the year. So um, it was pretty cool to see those guys happy. Just like so many guys, you know, I didn't see these people, but there's the groundskeepers that, uh, at Minute Maid Park and bullpen catchers. and Just there's a lot of people who – Behind the scenes, I've been doing this for a long, long time and never never seen a World Series. So, it was, you know, it's pretty cool to see those guys uh, finally have the chance. Those are kind of the untold stories, I guess. And Chronicle columnist Brian Smith wrote about some of those guys uh, before Game 4 or Game 5, I think. But those are really the best stories out of, out of all of it. I mean, you know, a lot of these players have been working toward this their whole lives, but they haven't been members of the Astros as long as some of these other people. So those people, it probably means the most, too. What is the moment? that you think of as you were watching this team that you said, boy, this team can win a championship, you know, for, for an Astros fan, for somebody that grew up here, lived here for 46 years, I can tell you there are moments where you go, okay, maybe they can do it. But 
as an Astros fan, until that ball hit Yuli Gurriel's glove for the last out, I can tell you, you know, I'm just thinking something's going to happen. Something could happen bad. Uh, we've seen it so many times in Astros history. Was there a moment or two where you said, oh, wait a second, Th- this team is, seems like they're destined to win this thing? Yeah, there, there was definitely several. I think, I mean, I definitely thought they'd beat the Red Sox and the DS, but I didn't. I thought the Yankees would win the CS. Before the series, I said Yankees in seven. So I wouldn't shock that the Astros won that. I think they were the better they were the better team, but I just thought the Yankees were really hot uh, at that point. And then coming into the World Series, I thought the Dodgers would win in, in six or seven. So um, I think for me, the moment where it was like, wow, was when Altuve homered off Maeda in game five here to retie the game at seven after Bellinger had given them the three-run lead again. It was the start of the craziest game I've seen in person. I mean, not the start, but, you know, early in it, relatively. And I think just once you see Altuve retie the game like that, it was just like, this team's not going to lose this game. Whoever won that game had, had, you know, the 3-2 lead going into the final two. So there was a lot of moments, though. I mean... Springer's home run off Darvish. I, I give you the moment that I, I just thought maybe something really religious is happening here is when Correa hit that home run that felt like it went into the heavens and almost yeah. hit the roof. And you thought that, that thing just went out of the ballpark. Yeah. He looked at it like, it, it, oh, that, that's a this fly could ball go. out. Yeah, those, those those bother me, those home runs, because they're, they should be fly ball. They should be sevens in the book. But, yeah, I mean, I guess both teams play with the same uh, – dimensions well when you see that happen yes you go okay that that bothers you but as somebody that has followed the astros for years sure i'm going what's going on with you know todd frazier's yeah that was crazy the home run that he hit of course that that was a crazy one-handed home run yeah exactly yeah no i mean there was i'm trying to think of some other moments that stand out i mean it was I mean, Marwin's, Marwin Gonzalez hitting a, a home run on an 0-2 cutter against the best closer in baseball. You know, you can't script that one. There, there's just so many of those, and, and you need those to win. I mean, Brad Peacock having a three and two-thirds inning save. Like, it's crazy to think back to spring training and, and what my opinions of some of these players were as players. Brad Peacock, Charlie Morton, Marwin Gonzalez. They don't win the World Series without any. If you take out one of those guys, they don't win the World Series. Charlie Morton, let me let me ask you about him because it feels like this is the strangest story of all. I mean, Charlie Morton, of all the offseason signings between Reddick and McCann and Beltron, he was the lowest profile. Going into the playoffs, you're like, okay, maybe he gets a, a, a spot start here or there somewhere in it. And then all of a sudden, Charlie Morton, and I don't think this is overstatement, Charlie Morton had the best stuff this side of Justin Verlander on the Astros throughout the playoffs. He was the second best pitcher on the Astros. I, I don't know if there's an argument to that. No, there isn't. I mean, you could maybe argue Peacock, but um, yeah, no, I mean, overall, like I said, they don't win without him, which is crazy to say because this guy, you know, was pretty much written off after years of injuries. You know, he, he did have an injury this year. He missed five weeks in the middle of the season, but the Astros kept him healthy for 25 starts which is the most he's made since, I think, 2011. Three more in the playoffs, plus the relief appearance. Four more in the playoffs, plus relief appearance. So it's pretty incredible. What is he like? What is Charlie Morton like? He's cerebral. He's very smart. uh, Very good at explaining his process out there. Really good guy. I really enjoyed covering him this year. Looking forward to covering him again next year. He likes Penn State football, so I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
He likes Game of Thrones, so I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, no, he's he's a really interesting interview. Let me ask you this, because when you're watching the post game, there wasn't that level of excitement that you saw from the other guys. Did you feel like he was stunned? Or yeah, I think that- he's. In, I think that's a shock factor. I think he it probably hasn't even hit him yet. Like it's he's just Charlie Morton. Like he, it's hard to describe him. He's he's probably. You know, going back home to Florida now, still trying to figure out what happened. I, I don't think there's anyone more grateful for what happened than, than him. Well, there might be one guy that's more grateful, and that's uh, Carlos Beltran waited 20 years for this. I want to get your favorite stories from Carlos Beltran this year, his effect on the Astros. What are the stories that people told you about uh, him dealing with, with the players uh, and, and dealing with uh, just being a part of this team, his effect on this team. The, the, the one that sticks out to me is when I heard Carlos Correa say that, you know, I, I go to dinner with this guy all the time. I get home and I put my head on the pillow and I realize that he's taught me 10 things about not just baseball, but about life and just in that night. Uh, what did you hear about Carlos Beltran, the stories that y- your favorite that really you think affected this team and brought them together? I think less what I heard of more what I saw, like the, some of the clubhouses on the road, you can see the area where the players watch video is visible to the reporters. I remember like one day in Kansas City, or maybe it was a whole series in Kansas City in June, like just before a game, just watching Beltron sit there at one computer and then like player by player coming in, taking turns, basically sitting next to him and watching video with him like for an hour, just like. Jake Marisnik, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, just like coming in and out. Just so people want to soak in that knowledge. He's renowned for his, you know, for knowing the game. Um, him and Alex Cora both really helped these guys with pitchers' tendencies for both stealing bases and for knowing what pitch is coming. Although I know some hitters don't like to know what pitch is coming. Uh, I learned this year. But yeah, I mean, I think both those guys just. Knowing the game so well really helped Correa, Bregman, Altuve. Like, you know, Correa, if you ask, you just say Carlos Beltran, Correa will rave for five minutes about the guy. Like, he, 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 that's why they brought him in. I mean, they wanted more production, obviously, than they got, but I think that you can't put a price on the leadership uh, aspect of it. Got to talk about Bregman because you just mentioned him, and I mean, just he was so huge throughout the, the entire playoffs. So you, you, you could argue in some ways he was a little bit, along with Altuve, the MVP for the Astros, if you go from the, the first game of the playoffs to the last game of the playoffs, hitting those home runs off some of the best pitchers, the best relievers in, in all of baseball, and you saw him go through the season, and, it, and there was a point where you felt like maybe three or four months into the season when Correa went down that Bregman, the confidence, all of a sudden went to another level. He was a different guy, and maybe that was there all along. I mean, he walks around, you look at it, Alex Bregman and you think there, there there isn't anybody more confident and sure of himself than this guy could you see that as the season went along is like he changed really as his personality and just his presence on the field I don't think his personality changed or his presence I think he's the most confident guy in there always but it was his first half was weird he didn't hit his first home run until I think May 14th was one of the last regulars in the majors, maybe the last to, to hit his first home run. You know, coming into the year, I remember thinking this guy could make an all-star team in his first full season. Like, it wouldn't have shocked me. He's, he's that good. But it took him a while to get his footing. Once he did, and then kind of coincided with Correa going down, you know, he was one of the best players in the Astros. So, yeah, he's kind of got that, that clutch factor. I don't know how much I believe in clutch versus not clutch. I think it's real, but I don't know how real. But he definitely has 
has that gene. We saw it in the playoffs. I mean, Chris Sale home running game four, the DS, home run off Kershaw, home run off Jansen, walk off single off Jansen. They don't win it without him for sure. And it was telling that most of the regular season, AJ Hinch batted him second against lefties, sixth or fifth or sixth against righties. But by the end of the World Series, it was second no matter what, no matter who was on the mound, because he was just that that good. Tell people about George Springer, because I talk about him all the time. You know, I've had a chance to, to talk to him and interview him several times over the last few years. Uh, there's not a, a player that I've been around in, in professional sports that you feel like is too much better of a person than, than George Springer. And just the air that I feel like he brings in, and I say air as in uh, just kind of the atmosphere that he brings into a, a clubhouse and, and, and actually into a room when he walks in, there's the, the positive nature of, of George Springer. And also, he's, he's, he makes it so much fun, I think, for everybody. But he seems like such a genuine person when you talk to him and, and you get to know him. I mean, he's got that sort of, I think there's a little bit of a bro about him at first when you might be around him. And then all of a sudden you realize, no, that's not him at all. He's not kind of a bro. He's more of this that's who he is just genuine and open and that sort of thing tell people what you know about george springer as a person and, and what what he is yeah he's great he's a really impressive person he's pretty simple he doesn't go on social media at all doesn't really like seem to care what people are are saying on on the twitter sphere or anything like that he's just himself and you know i think it was really telling how you know on the biggest game of his career he went 0 for 4 or 4 strikeouts. That was one of the big stories of the game, game one of the World Series. And then he comes back and hits five home runs in six games and an extra base hit in all six games. I think it just shows who he is and how good of a player he is too, uh, obviously. But there was a point in the season where I thought he was their best player. Like, I was like, I think he's better than Altuve. I think he's better than Correa. Like, he's, obviously Altuve is their best player, but, like, there was a point in the season where I remember thinking that, like, this, this guy's he's for real. He's definitely for real. But this playoffs and, and the All-Star game kind of give him a bigger profile. I don't think people around the game really realized how good he was. He's overshadowed in ways by Altuve because of the numbers he's put up yeah. over the last few years. And then with Correa and just because of all the all, all, everything that was him coming into baseball and, and, and the expectations. Yeah, and, and he's not Mr. Endorsement. He's not all over commercials. You know, I think his star definitely grew uh, this year for sure. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I, as a player, I remember thinking last year when he played all 162, had a really good year, I think 29 home runs, 28 home runs. I was like, that's probably what he is, in my opinion. And then he blew that out of the water this year. Like that, this He was one of the best players in baseball for the first half and tailed off in the second half, but you know when it mattered, returned to, to his, his elite form. One guy that you didn't hear mentioned a whole lot in the, play, in the playoff run this year with the Astros, you didn't hear him a lot during the regular season sort of a forgotten guy and this is a name that I think might surprise some people out there but Ed Wade Uh, Ed Wade brought in Altuve he was the guy that drafted George Springer he was the guy that brought in Dallas Keuchel you're from Philadelphia you covered the Phillies you know Ed Wade's story in Philadelphia what happened with him here he left but he left both organizations with uh, a lot of gold that ended up leading to a championship. Yeah, I think, just to, for the record, I think Altuve was pre-Wade. I think he was Tim Perpera, wasn't he? But, yeah, I mean, drafting Springer 11th overall in, in 11, and Keuchel in the 7th round, I believe it was, and 
10 or whatever draft that was. The cupboard wasn't bare when he was fired. It wasn't in a good spot by any means. But, but yeah, those two guys, they don't, they don't win in 15 without those guys. They don't win this year without those guys. So, um, yeah, that's always the case, though, right? Like, the Dodgers front office inherited all these players, too. There's never no talent in the system when you take over a team. So, But, yeah, I mean, Jeff Luno thanked both predecessors, Purpura and, and, uh, and Wade, in a press conference last week. Yeah, it's, it's probably tough for those guys. It's probably bittersweet in some ways, but at the same time, they they did acquire those players, so they can always cling to that if they need to. Give me a couple moments if you a couple moments if you got them that you saw over the course of the year that fans didn't get to see. You know, we remember stuff like the the, the incredible comeback in Minnesota. That was one of the more legendary games of the season. But I, I know there has to be those moments during the year where you're just hanging around with the players. You see something behind the scenes, and you're like, "Wow, this is this is pretty this is pretty cool. This, this team is is different." I think the one that stands out is that I'd never seen a uh, a fake funeral for a glove before. <laughs> I remember we catching wind about that like an hour or two before, and I asked a couple players, including Brian McCann, about it, and they wouldn't say much. And then you know, all of a sudden, you see these guys circled around on the field, all wearing black. And McCann's leading the ceremony. I think that was that was unique. I'd never seen that before. It was that was fun. You were around a lot of the national riders during the playoffs in the World Series. I don't know if you had a chance to talk to these guys. I don't know how much thought you've put into this uh, question, but the two games that we saw, Game Two and Game Five, and this World Series in general, where does this rank from the national perspective? Do they feel like this is one of the great World Series in, in history? And and those two games in particular. Game five, I guess, being the the, the primary one. Uh, where does that rank as far as all-time games? Yeah, I think everyone was saying it was one of the best, or most people were saying, I don't want to speak for everyone. I think there's always some recency bias in those kind of conversations. I think it was an all-time great World Series. Not even two and five only, but game one, we, we, we saw Clayton Kershaw's signature start. Game three was, you know, we saw something unique. And Brad Peacock, a three and two-thirds hit list save game four ken giles you know that was a 1-1 game until the ninth like there was game seven was really the only game that didn't feature it didn't feel that close i mean it it did because it was game seven but it really once springer hit the home run you didn't i didn't think that the dodgers were going to win the only thing holding it back from being like the best or top five even maybe uh, and maybe it is top five i don't i haven't gone through all the years of world series but neither game two or game five were elimination games or clinching games i think if game five is game seven or game six with the astros winning i think that's like holy crap that's the best ever but i mean game five is still the best game i've ever seen in person definitely the best game i've covered game two was epic more condensed i mean the first eight innings or so weren't that great but it was jam-packed for those four innings there at the end. Seemed to be a general consensus that it was one of the best ever. You know, I think it was definitely better than last year's. I mean, people remember last year's as some great World Series, but it was really only Game 7. I mean, the first six games were not that great games. Game 7 was epic, and that, <clears throat> that propels it because it was a, you know, the stakes are so high. But yeah, I think Game 2 and Game 5 will be remembered forever um, and will make it uh, one of the best ever. What about this run that they, they get they make through the playoffs? Because I think a lot of what you do with the World Series is, is rate it not only as the World Series itself, but sometimes just getting there, what the Astros did to get there. You beat the Red Sox. You beat the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees series was a was really good series also, uh, going seven games. great series, yeah. And then you go against the Dodgers, 
you have uh, two 100 win teams, which was the first time since what 1970. Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, with you, you have other factors in play, not just the specific games in the field, but you know the the, the quality of the opponents that the Astros beat, and the and the quality uh, of competition between the Astros and the Dodgers in the World Series itself. Yeah, and it probably makes it even better for the Astros. I mean, they they know they beat the best. You know, they didn't have to cross the Indians on the way. Uh, I think they would have beaten the Indians that the, the way the Indians were playing at that point. The Yankees were better than the Indians. So, yeah, I think when you go through teams like that, big markets like that, it probably makes it even sweeter for the Astros, you know, especially uh, uh, New York and, and L.A., Boston. I think they, on paper, the Astros were like the clear favorite in that one. Uh, and they were for the Yankees too, but it probably, you know, makes it even feel that much more of an accomplishment, even though it obviously is anyway. But I think most of the year, the Dodgers and the Astros were the two best teams. They appeared to be on a collision course all year until the Indians had that 22-game winning streak. It's kind of rare that the two best teams meet in the World Series these days because injuries, who's hot, who's cold, it kind of makes for so much randomness. Um, I think the two best teams met last year, and I think they met this year. And uh, that's always fun to see when it's really the two best and there's no what if this happened or what if that happened, what if this guy didn't get hurt, that guy didn't get hurt. So and it was fun to if, it was fun to cover the, the Hinch-Roberts angle too because I – all year, I remember I kind of had that in mind. Like, hey, if these guys face, I, I know they're really close friends. That would be a good story. It was cool to see, see two 45-year-old progressive managers who are really tight uh, face off on, on that stage. Can't get better than Dodger Stadium for a World Series either. That was, uh, in terms of just historical venue, it was really fun to, to cover four games there. And baseball, everybody's always trying to figure out, all these teams are trying to figure out, how do we win a, a World Series? What, what's the key? What's the, the, the trending thing that's going to help us to win a World Series? And over the last few years, it's been more and more, hey, you got to have these, you know, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning guys out of the bullpen. This was crazy, Jake. I mean, the Astros basically went through the playoffs with an awful bullpen outside of Brad Peacock, who's pretty much a starter all year. Uh, they went through with a bullpen that played not just – you know, average, it was a poor bullpen. I mean, the whole time I was going, they can't win a World Series, not with a bullpen like this. At some point, somebody's going to have to step up. And then their bullpen ended, ended up being the, <laughs> Morton and McCullers and Peacock. Guys like those, those guys were the ones that stepped yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, they didn't win a, a clinching game, any of their three clinchers, without using multiple starters. I think that's telling. They so used Verlander in game four in Boston. McCullers in, in game seven against New York and, and – um, Morton in relief in, in Game Seven against LA. Yeah, no, it's if you if you would have told me before the postseason they're not going to this is what they're going to get out of Giles, Davinsky, Musgrove, Harris. I would say they're not going to win a World Series. But AJ Hinch managed around it with by using the starters. Um, I think that's a credit to how he's gotten his, his pitching staff to buy into the the no set roles kind of thing. I didn't. They, no one ever has no set roles, but they have a, kind of a culture there where. It doesn't matter if it's a save situation or not. He's going to use the best guy. And the numbers would probably say, don't let Morton pitch the ninth of game seven, especially because he has a hit, has to hit in the other in the uh, top of the inning. But, you know, he saw he was rolling and left him in rather than putting in Verlander or Keuchel. So, but yeah, I mean, the bullpen 
was a train wreck. I don't think on paper their bullpen's as bad as it was in the playoffs, but it's definitely something that they're going to have to address this winter in terms of definitely getting a lefty, but also just make them feel better about it going into the next year. How much clothes have you had to throw throw away because of uh, champagne over the last month? <laughs> only a couple. Only, um, honestly, only after Boston. That was the one where I got it the worst because that clubhouse is the smallest in baseball. That and Wrigley. It's the smallest in American League. So Joe Musgrove got me pretty good in that one. Um, and I, I left. I threw away a polo uh, after that. But, you know, after the World Series, I kind of got good at, at, through four of these, I got good at evading um you know um and i'm not gonna wear a poncho like some of these other guys and it's just it's not cool enough to wear a poncho no it's just i don't know i don't i don't know why but i just like to go in like look look like i always do um michael Foley's tried to ruin my night on uh last wednesday but i evaded that one so yeah i mean I, honestly only one polo one undershirt maybe those are interesting to cover. You're trying to get your interviews in, and you never know who's behind you pouring beer or champagne on you, or which uh, you know national media Nick Swisher are going to pop in and, and steal steal your interview and go on live TV. So, what players showed the most emotion when it was all over with? I think all of them did. I know it was a cop out answer, but I mean, one guy got engaged, so he had a lot of emotion attached to that. <laughs> yeah, Keuchel's always at the forefront of those things. You know, a lot of the relievers are the rowdiest. What about uh, somebody like Evan Gaddis? Because he's been through so much to get to this point. You know, I didn't see him post. That's the other thing. You don't. You miss some of these guys post, depending on where you are, where they are. Josh Reddick's always one of the the nuttiest with his American flag speedo. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the other unfortunate part is you don't see all these guys. Not all of them are in there. Some of them are on the field. Some of them are wherever doing TV hits. But it's weird. They... They don't all feel that different, those four celebrations. Like, if you blindfolded me or, or whatever, I wouldn't be able to pick out which one was which, aside from the fact that there's a huge trophy being passed around in the last one. Do you yourself feel like you appreciate enough going through this experience? I don't know if you've heard from maybe somebody like John McClain, your, your co-worker at the Houston Chronicle, who's been covering the Oilers and the Texans for 40 years and has never seen one of those teams go to the Super Bowl. Did you get any uh, text or any phone calls from John going, hey, you, you better enjoy this one because I've, I've waited a long time for no, something like No, nothing like that. I mean, John, John texted me throughout the playoffs, throughout the whole season. He's great. He's been great to me. But, um, no, I don't think I appreciate it in the moment like that because my job isn't to root for them to win or lose. It's just to cover the story. But just, to ha- just to, as a reporter – the, to have the chance to cover yeah I, I think i'll appreciate it more in the future i definitely appreciate it now and in the moment but um it's hard you're just so focused on that night's story like i i have pretty good tunnel vision at just i'm focused on getting the you know i, I feel a lot of pressure in that moment because i have to write a good game story so i'm just treating it like another day where i'm trying to get the best content i can for a story to tell a story so once it's over i think i went to bed that that day at 4.30 a.m. Pacific time, you have a little bit of a sigh of relief and like, all right, that was pretty cool. So I'm sure in the, in the future when I have, you know, have some of the copies of the paper at home and from the next day and um, I'll look back through those and look back through some pictures on my phone, I'll appreciate it a lot more. But in the moment, I'm, you know, it's my job and I'm just trying to do the best I can that night to tell the story for, for the readers. The moment where Justin Verlander gets dealt to the Astros did you know immediately, oh, this, this could be a major ch- sea change. It could really vault this team into a World Series team. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they were 
they looked pretty bad in August. They needed something to pick them up. And Correa came back a couple of days later, which was a huge part of it, too. And Springer started to get rolling because he had been out with the injury, and when he came back, he was struggling yeah. somewhat. Yeah, but no, Verlander changed everything. I mean, they don't win the World Series without him. And credit to the front office, for to Jim Crane, to, to Jeff Luno, to A.J. Hinch, to making that happen. I mean, I think going by the numbers... Maybe that didn't add up for what their usual math is, giving up prospects to, to pay a lot of money to pitch for them every five days. Um, but like I said, that, that shifted everything in the clubhouse. Could you tell immediately the next day? Was there a, did, if you well, they didn't play the next day because it was the day off from the hurricane. I don't think I saw the team again until Monday in Seattle. So I didn't do that doubleheader against the Mets or the Sunday game because I, I, I had just been working a million days in a row. But, yeah, I mean, you get there the Monday in Seattle and Justin Verlander's there and getting ready for his debut the next night. There's a difference. There's an aura that comes with him. And I think he pitched better than anyone expected, too. I mean, he he had a bad first half for the Tigers, was really good his last 10 or 11 starts for the Tigers, which got him traded. I mean, if he had continued on put the numbers he had in the first half, he wasn't going to get traded. But even those 10 or 11 starts, the seven he made in the regular season or six he made in the regular season for the Astros were phenomenal and better, even better than what he did for the Tigers. And then, you know, he was lights out in the playoffs. So he's a big game pitcher. That's why they got him. I mean, it looks a lot different if he's not in there. I don't know if they beat the Red Sox if they don't have him, honestly. I mean, they would have won five games probably. And who knows what happens in a, in a fifth game. And I don't think they beat the Yankees without Justin Verlander. So it's... It's crazy how that, you know, that trade literally came down to a matter of seconds, the final seconds before September ticked over, and without that, their season's completely different. Yeah, they say baseball's a game of inches, sometimes it's a game of seconds. Yeah, it seems <laughs> that way, yeah. <laughs> you have been in Houston for a couple of years now. You grew up in uh, the Philadelphia area. One thing that I think it's it's hard for people to understand, maybe in the Northeast or some of the older cities in the, in the North, they think, oh, Houston fans aren't as hardcore as fans up there and I think what some people miss and I'd be interested in your perspective on this is they miss that uh, these cities in the south and and this in the southwest they're they're younger cities the team here is is a much younger team so people just don't have their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers it hasn't gotten passed down as much and, and this is such a city that's very uh you know it's a very commuter city it's a very transient city in a way because of all the people that move here. So what is your perspective on what this means to this city? Because, you know, I think anybody that knows the city a little bit knows that there are a lot of people that have lived here their whole life and it means everything to them. And they're as big of fans as anybody anywhere. Yeah, no, it's definitely obviously been a lot for obvious reasons, especially in the wake of, of Harvey. It's hard to really quantify and contextualize. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's people who have been covering, following this team since since it started in the 60s and uh, for them this is this is what they've been waiting for it's definitely different down here in terms of you know what you mentioned hardcore packed house every night in the regular season you don't see that maybe you will now i mean i'm interested to see what kind of boost they get attendance wise next year from this do a comparison of just the atmosphere that you saw here compared to when they were in L- playing in la or playing in new york or pay- playing in boston was was minute made as as rowdy or more so or less so than, than all of those venues? The loudest I've ever heard Minute Maid was Game 7 of the ALCS. That was incredible. The World Series atmosphere, I don't know whether it was, you know, corporate people buying up all the tickets or what it was. It was a lot. 
the atmosphere in the World Series wasn't as the crowds weren't as raucous as they were in the CS, in my opinion. But the crowds were incredible. I mean, that's that's that Game Seven CS crowd. I, and Charlie Morton talked about it after the game that he felt they really had his back and that fueled him. That was exciting to to be in. It's kind of hard to hear yourself think. I think Yankee Stadium was the loudest playoff crowd I've ever been in. That was incredible. Boston, really loud. Uh, it was my first time ever covering a playoff game there. That was that was pretty cool experience. Game five of the World Series, uh, there was a point where you felt like uh, the fans had almost exhausted themselves, you know, because there was so much back and forth yeah. and all of that going on. My keyboard had definitely exhausted itself. <laughs> I, I know a lot of, like, Astros fans were dumping on the, the Dodgers crowds, but that was an incredible crowd. I think it doesn't really come across on TV because it's, like, such a big area and and it's kind of drowned out maybe by, like, the openness of the the stadium and, and where it is in the ravine. But that was incredible. I mean, that place shook at every big moment. I can't say that about any other ballpark this year. I don't think I've ever had a ballpark shake on me that, that wasn't a college football stadium. I love Dodger Stadium. It's one of my favorites. I mean, you get, you're walking around the concourse. You're walking past celebrities. Kareem, I, I went on the escalator past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jason Bateman. Like, you can't get that anywhere else. Altuve, if, if I've got the story right, I, I think Buster only talked about this, that he had pictures of the hurricane up in his locker that he said he looked at. A lot of the players did, yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me what you saw. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was pretty soon after the hurricane. They had pictures, not every player, but a lot of players had pictures from whether it's the Chronicle or just the Internet on their locker. To remind them of, of, of yeah, what I they're think, playing for. I think so. Um, and... There was a, a picture of a submerged car out in the front of the clubhouse where they post a lineup card every day on the little whiteboard there. Yeah, and they they have the Houston Strong patch on their on their on their chest. Um, they know what they were playing for. It was just a, that extra reminder to have that there. Well, I'm not going to ask you anything about the what's coming up with the Astros because uh, I, I want to give a little time to to relish that. There's plenty of time to talk about what's going on down the road. I, I do want to get one more thing with you because. Uh, being that you are from Philadelphia, you, you covered the Phillies. Roy Halladay, what did you think about when you saw uh, with what happened? What happened with Roy Halladay a couple of days ago? It's incredibly sad. Um, it's just it's terrible. I mean, that guy was—he's one of the best pitchers I've ever watched. A surefire Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Um, I didn't cover him much. I mean, I, I, a little bit in 2012, but I didn't really – I can't claim to knowing him personally. What did you hear about him from but the I, around there? I was, yeah, I mean, everyone loved him. Consummate professional, great guy. I remember being in some interview scrums after a start, and he was incredibly thoughtful about his start. And he was just a surgeon out there, man. He was he was incredible to watch. Um, it's hard to win over the fans in Philly, and he did it in, like, literally – 10 minutes it's one of those things you remember where you were when when they traded for him i remember like what street i was on in state college pennsylvania i was still a student at penn state and that was a weird day because they they traded cliff lee right after it to get some prospects which was a weird decision but um yeah roy Halliday, it's terrible it's awful i mean 40 years old is just way too young the astros are uh gonna have some time off do you have time off here you got the the meetings are coming up right a little bit of time off, but yeah, the GM meetings in Orlando on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So that'll kind of be that'll kind of kickstart the off season a little bit. As much as I asked Jeff Luno uh, and AJ Hinch about the off season Friday before the parade, they weren't really in the mood to talk about it yet. Understandably so. 
this will really be our first chance to hear from Jeff Luno about what his plans are for the offseason. And also, next week is MVP week on November 16th and Thursday. So we'll find out if Jose Altuve or Aaron Judge is the AL MVP. They've all only had one MVP. Jeff Bagwell in 94 was the strike shortened year. Altuve finished third last year. I think he's probably the favorite. I don't think it's – I think it's really close. Like, I, I think – People need to remember that this was voted on before the playoffs, number one. And number two, I think... Judge is a Yankee. <laughs> no, I don't think that has anything to do with it, really. I mean, I, I, I know people are going to cry that if Altuve doesn't win, that it was East Coast bias. But Houston has as, as many votes as New York for this thing. It's two, two writers from every AL market. But just the coverage, I guess, that Judge got this year being that he was a Yankee. I don't Yankee. think so, man. I mean, I think it depends on what you're how you think of MVP. Judge, if you look at his numbers overall, his numbers are stupid. His overall numbers. But it's hard to get past his six-week black hole that he had in the middle of the season. But if you don't, like, if you're a guy who just says, the numbers are the numbers, I don't care how you got to these numbers, you got to them, then I think those people might vote for Judge. I think if you're looking at who was the most consistent through six months, it's it's no-brainer. It's Altuve. And I think it also helps Altuve that he plays an up-the-middle position opposed to a corner like Judge does. But I think it's closer than a lot of people think. And I think Altuve is going to win, but nothing would surprise me. I think they're both deserving, and I think it's going to be really close. I, I really do. Final thing, do you feel like you need to get a little bit in better shape for yes. next season <laughs> after going through this last month of <laughs> the playoffs? Yeah, well, I always feel that way at the end of the baseball season. But tack on an extra month. Yeah, it's not – the press box food is not the best. This is my time to, to get into – Spring training shape. Those uh, three series postseason runs are, are, are yeah, tiring. I mean, they played – What's the max they could play is, what, 19 games? They played 18 extra games. And you're flying, you're waking up early, you're going to bed late. Not to complain. I, get, I have the best job in the world, but there's definitely a few, a few pounds to drop now that the offseason's here. And they played in Boston, New York the first couple of series, so that's East Coast time, so you're going – it's even getting later than normal. The, Do- the Dodgers probably wouldn't as, as obviously. Honestly, it's, it's harder to go West Coast because um, I hate coming back and you just lost two hours of your life. You know, that's the worst feeling. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, and you do it a lot on this beat because they go, they're half, most, most of their division is West Coast. But East Coast, I don't have much issue with. Maybe it's because I'm from there, but uh, it's only one hour. It's not that big a deal. But West Coast, when you, the two hours. Uh, it's it's not as easy, but uh, again, I can't complain. I, I just whenever I feel the urge to complain, I just I can remember I covered the Super Bowl Hall of Fame induction and the World Game Seven World Series in the same year. So this will definitely be a year I don't forget. Well, it was great talking to you about the World Series champion Houston Astros, and I still have fun saying that. yes. Can we stop the <laughs> World Champion? The pet peeve of mine is when people say World Champion. It's World Series champion. Uh, there's one person on Twitter, I'm not going to name, who says world champion at every turn, and it's a pet peeve of mine. It's World Series champion. Sometimes you do it on Twitter, though, just because you, you're, you're trying well, to get We all got 280 it's characters character now, so there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net.